This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to Brew Different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. I see it as a beer just to drink uh, in fairly large quantities. Like you could drink like two liters of it and still be totally fine to, you know, go about your, 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 your business. This week on the show, you'll hear about Franco-Belgian-style table beer and how Jester King brews their own version. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Stuffings, co-founder of Jester King Brewery in Austin, Texas. You wrote that the history of Franco-Belgian-style table beer embodies so much of what is best about beer. Explain that. Yes. So... First and foremost, I feel beer is about community. Uh, I remember when we were a brewery getting started here in, in Texas, the uh, oldest Texas craft brewery founder, his name's Brock Wagner. Uh, he said, you know, beer is people. And, and that phrase resonated with me. And I truly look at beer as the ultimate social and communal beverage. And that's my favorite thing about beer culture. And I think Yes, table beer, but then just kind of sessionable beers in general, which, you know, I would define as anywhere from, you know, uh, well, non-alcoholic beer all the way to, you know, three and a half, maybe 4% if you're pushing it, um, to be truly, you know, sessionable beers that you can enjoy throughout the course of a, of a whole afternoon. Um, you know, I just had some industry folks come through town um, the day after Thanksgiving and uh, hung out with them drinking, you know, dark mild ale for literally from like three in the afternoon to uh, almost midnight. And, um, you know, it was still perfectly lucid and coherent. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, uh, table beer is special because it brings people together session beer is is important for the same same reason um i could probably take a few other approaches to that that question as well but but the communal aspect uh really one is the one that really speaks to me okay let's hear a little bit about the version that you brew 
then tell us about the inspiration behind it. Yes. Yeah, so we do a Franco-Belgian inspired table beer. Um, when I was getting into brewing, homebrewing these styles, um, you know, about 15 years ago, um, came across uh, a beer from Brasserie DuPont in Belgium uh, called uh, Avril. Uh, that was basically just like the the low strength table version of um, you know the, the famous saison uh, Dupont, and uh, found it absolutely delicious. Uh, liked the philosophy behind it of just doing a real just drinkable sessionable beer, um, and that kind of became the influence to do uh, what we call uh, Le Petit Prince, our uh, our table beer at Jester King. Um, historically, I, I love the connection with. Um, you know, outdoor agriculture, outdoor farm labor. Um, you know, I, my whole mom's side of my family are, are farmers from Iowa. And although I'm not a farmer myself, I've always just had a lot of admiration for that profession. And when I read about, uh, you know, table beer being a source of both nourishment and hydration for outdoor workers, and what I've, from what I've under, been able to understand, that table beer historically was only about, you know, 1% alcohol. Um, and also from what I understand, um, you know, alcohol or sorry, beer, what that is below, I think like around like two, two and a half percent is actually uh, hydrating instead of, uh, dehydrating. So it has that, that practical value for outdoor manual labor. And, um, so that kind of tradition spoke to me as well. And, um, just from a flavor standpoint, um, just kind of the blend of like minerality and earthiness and a little bit of like, maybe a little bit of citrus character from fermentation and um, just something again, you can drink all day with, with, with friends um, just is very, was very appealing to me. All right. What happens when it rains on the Edwards plateau and why does that matter for this beer? Well, when it rains on the Edwards plateau, the water is going to percolate through um, a giant sheet of limestone are, we draw from water from what's called the Trinity aquifer, which is about 800 feet down, uh, from, from where the brewery is. And it's a solid limestone, uh, aquifer. And so when it rains, the water's picking up just a ton of minerality, uh, from that limestone. And when you drink our well water, um, it's, pretty mineral rich like it doesn't taste typically what you're going to get out of the faucet in most locales certainly is a far far cry from you know reverse osmosis water um and so there's a lot of flavor to it um which actually can be somewhat polarizing you know some people want more of a cleaner water profile for for drinking um and we've always just seen well water as part of terroir and beer particularly farmhouse ales where you're tasting the character of the land um you know to, to broaden the question just slightly you know what is a farmhouse ale to me it's a beer that has a close connection to a location the time in which it's brewed and the people who are are making it and uh water i think is one of the biggest components of that you know water has terroir i believe um so in making a, a table beer like Petite Prince um, and trying to do a, like a rustic style that's true to our land, um, using just the raw well water, I think, is, is, is hugely important. Um, so, yeah, that's what happens uh, when it rains here. You get a lot of, as well, after the water percolates down, you get a lot of minerality in your 
uh, brewing water. Talk about the grist for Le Petit Prince. So we use a very simple grist for Le Petit Prince. Um, it's about 85% uh, or so uh, malted barley uh, and about uh, 15% or so uh, malted wheat. So just, just two grains. Um, you know, we want very clean, crisp uh, malt profile. Um, the malted wheat just for a little bit of, uh, of texture, body, mouthfeel, head retention. Um, we're using, we've used various things over the years. Um, you know, when we started brewing this beer, we didn't have any access to Texas grain. Um, so we're using, uh, I believe, uh, Vireman, uh, Pilsner and Vireman, uh, malted wheat. Um, uh, now, and, and, and I firmly believe this isn't a, a better or worse thing, just, just different. Um, now we have access to grain from, uh, Texas farmers. Uh, we work with a company called Tex Malt located in Fort Worth. Um, they partnered with farmers in um, um, the Texas High Plains, you know, which is kind of like the Texas Panhandle and West Texas, like uh, out by like Lubbock, Texas. And um, so that's what we use today is uh, the malted barley and malted wheat from, from Tex Malt. And um, yeah, it's just nice and kind of uh, clean, crisp, um, a little bit of like, uh, more kind of like, I would say more of like a crackery character as opposed to like, you know, doughy breadiness, um, which works for, I think, a beer that's designed to be very refreshing. When you made that switch from, um, from a, you know, mass produced malt like Vireman to a local monster, um, did you do that gradually or did you just make a wholesale change? And Talk more about the differences that you observe sort of before and after that switch. Sure. Um, we made the change uh, wholesale, as I recall. It's been a number of years, but I think we just uh, just, just went for it. Um, and, you know, we had to recalibrate our brew house efficiency. Uh, and that's still, um, to this day, I, I think you don't have as much kind of consistency as you, as you would with a larger uh, malt producer. So we're always kind of, uh, manipulating our, our brew house efficiency based on the results we're getting. Um, certainly from a flavor profile, and it's been a while since I've I've tasted the Petit Prince with you know non Texas malt. So uh, the comparison in my mind is is not all that that fresh. Um, but certainly, I think side by side, you you would notice a a flavor profile uh, difference. Um, and um, Oh, I guess, you know, louder ability, haven't noticed much, much, uh, really difference between, uh, you know, our local maltster and, uh, you know, a multinational uh, maltster. I believe you said that, you know, your version is, is somewhere under 3% ABV. Um, I guess that puts the, the OG on the spear is probably lower than the last runnings of many of today's popular craft beers, right? Yes. Um, yeah, the OG uh, for me with Petit Prince has always been almost kind of comical. Um, you know, when I was homebrewing, I would make yeast starters around like 1025 specific gravity and Petit Prince starts at like 1022. And yeah, to your point, I've seen beers that finish, you know, like 
ten fifty five. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's it's uh, uh, basically like just a yeast starter wort almost, and um, yeah, uh, and because we're doing you know wild fermentation with a with a mixed culture of of uh, yeast and bacteria, um, which attenuates consistently to. Uh, 95 to even a hundred, sometimes even like 101 or 102% apparent attenuation, um, you know, with, uh, with, with that high of a, uh, attenuation rate where it doesn't take that much of an OG to, to hit your ABV target, which is already extremely low. Yeah. There's kind of a lot of bitterness for such a delicate beer. Talk about how you hop it. Yes, and bitterness is absolutely something we're uh, after. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I do not. Sometimes bitterness can get kind of a negative connotation, and certainly the macro beer world. Like I remember uh, that stupid ad campaign from years ago, like bitter beer face or whatever. And oh yeah, yeah, and then uh, um, and then even you know even in the craft beer world, um, you know, I think of you know like hazy juicy IPA and bitterness is seen as a, you know, a detractor there. And, um, you know, for us, uh, you know, being inspired so much by the Franco-Belgian farmhouse tradition, um, you know, bitterness, I think is an important part of the flavor profile, uh, even in, um, you know, Belgian Lambic, which we're also inspired by. I mean, you get a fair amount of bitterness, you know, we do spontaneous beers and even with fully aged hops, like we're still, getting beers that are bitter on the palate and have, you know, tested IBUs of, um, you know, 25, even 30 at times. So we do want this beer to be, uh, bitter, not, you know, tongue twistingly bitter, but like a nice firm bitterness that might kind of build throughout the course of, you know, a, a full, full glass of beer. Um, I think it lends to the drinkability. Um, I think it's, it's, delicious to, 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 to drink. Um, you know, and I would say it's not like the full on kind of like West coast IPA kind of like, like piney, uh, citrusy bitterness. It's more of that kind of like herbal tea, um, earthy type of bitterness, which, um, I love in English style beers and I love in Franco Belgian farmhouse beers. And then you're also going for sort of a big herbal spicy aroma too right we do um we dry hop it for a beer that's only again you know 10 22 starting gravity and three about you know just shade under three percent alcohol um we do hop around um you know all in about a pound and a half per per barrel uh between kettle hops and and dry hops um you know, we, I think it's around like, I'd have to double check. I don't know the recipe right in front of me here, but it, it's around like three quarters of a pound per barrel dry hop, which is, you know, pretty aggressive for a tiny beer. And I'm sure historically, you know, these beers, if they were even dry hopped at all, which I, I'm guessing probably not, and then uh, certainly wouldn't have been as aggressively dry hopped. Um, so as I think about that out loud now, you know, that's, that's one little departure from, maybe the you know historical inspiration for this beer that we do um but with that said i don't think it's overbearing and yeah it just lends a nice kind of you know herbal earthy 
slightly just mild, like citrus type of uh, aromatics. Um, very though skewing towards kind of that like classical noble noble esque type of dry hop profile, which um, I think very much fits. And I think for a beer that's so tiny, uh, you know, benefits from that dry hop in terms of just uh, complexity. Even though, again, it's something that you, you could drink in just you know liters and 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 that's perfectly fine fermentation is where things get complicated talk about the various options how you originally fermented this beer what you're doing now and what's different so when we started off uh jester king uh we were developing our mixed culture uh harvesting yeast from the air via our cool ship harvesting yeast from uh plants and wildflowers around the brewery um, and it really took about a year and a half before we, uh, came up with a mixed culture that we were confident to, to use in a production brewery, albeit a, albeit a small one, like, like Jester King. Um, and, uh, so during that time we were doing farmhouse beers with, uh, pure cultures, um, primarily the, um, uh, French Saison strain. Um, we were using, uh, I believe it was, uh, Y3711, uh, and, um, which is supposedly, uh, cultured from one of the breweries, my favorite breweries in the world, uh, uh, Brasserie, uh, Thierrier in the town of Esquebec, uh, France, just over the border from Belgium. Uh, you know, Daniel Thierrier, the brewer there is, I think one of just the modern pioneers of, of farmhouse brewing, um, so uh, if you're going to go that route using a pure culture, um, you know, I would up the original gravity slightly because you're not going to see quite the attenuation you'd get from uh, mixed culture fermentation. Um, you know, I, I think you get a little bit more like of an, especially if you ferment it warm, like, you know, 72 to 75 Fahrenheit, which is, I think, a good range to see full attenuation on that, that strain. Um, you're going to get a little bit more of like a fruity ester profile, which um, I not there's anything wrong with that, but it's not what I'm after with uh, Petite Prince. I want the beer to be more like herbal, uh, spicy, you know, dry, bitter. Um, and that's why I prefer um, mixed culture fermentation on that beer. Um, our mixed culture, I mean, there's so many ways to go about creating a mixed culture. I would never say one's right versus another. Um, you know, I would say the easiest way would to be, uh, just take a pure culture and pitch it simultaneously with, um, a few funky cultures or even, you know, just like a starter made from like bottle dregs from like a mixed firm beer. Um, there's again, innumerable ways you could go about it. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to, that's kind of, I think the cool thing about that, not that, that, that a beer with a pure culture strain won't change with time, but um, I think the mixed culture beer is going to change a little bit more dramatically with time and evolve uh, more markedly as the beer matures in the bottle um, where, you know, Petite Prince, there are people who like it very fresh when it is uh, dry and bitter and that dry hop character is still prominent. There are people who like to age it six to nine months and let some of the Britannomyces characters start to develop and get a little bit more of that like funk and, and tartness start to develop. You know, we start to see the onset of uh, 
lactic acid and the fermentation around, uh, you know, maybe like four to eight weeks in. So uh, personally, I like to drink it fresh. I think it's at its most drinkable when it's, you know, freshly uh, bottle conditioned. We don't force carb it, so it's not like fresh out of the tank. But, you know, after two or three weeks in the bottle, when, you know, the CO2 development's there and the dry hop is still prominent and it's still, it's not too funky or sour yet, that, that to me is the sweet spot. Okay. And um, I believe you, you um, wrote that you've been uh, pitching the same mixed culture for uh, about, a, about a decade now, right? Yeah, that, that's right. We just turned 11. And uh, even when the brewery was being constructed, we were, you know, working on developing a, a mixed culture um ultimately arrived at uh one that uh it was a blend of um uh two different strains of uh pure culture yeast that that uh french saison that i mentioned as well as the um the belgian saison strain from uh white labs the 565 and then from there we added in just wild cultures that we had uh gotten off of plant life and wildflowers that we made yeast starters out of uh, we took drags from some of our spontaneous beers, uh, which ran through our uh, you know, first version of our, our cool ship, which is, is a very tiny one. We now have a cool ship that matches our, our, our brew house size. Um, so yeah, just kind of a hodgepodge of different cultures mixed with some uh, pure culture Saison uh, strains. And um, that is, uh, you know, we've kind of, you know, had to coax it in different directions over the, the years. Um, I want, I want to hear more about that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering sort of what type of maintenance you've done, you know, over time. I mean, do you, uh, are you regularly analyzing the culture to determine, you know, what's in that population at any given time or, you know, as it changes? Um, and, you know, and, and regardless, you know, what kind of tweaks are you making to that? Are you adding different microbes, you know, every so often or is, does this thing just kind of like, you know, let it go and it does its thing? Yes. So mainly the latter, just letting it go and, and, and do its thing. Um, we've taken snapshots of it throughout time. Um, we don't regularly monitor the the contents and, and mainly from just the practical drawback that uh, there's just so many different uh, microbes in the mixed culture that it's um, simultaneously impractical. And then even if we had a, you know, perfect full workup of the microbes we wouldn't even really have the uh the basis to draw firm conclusions from it uh not knowing you know scientifically what's truly being imparted by by each microbe you know just for exa- an example um the last you know lab workup uh we don't have a, we don't have a uh, this capacity at jester king but you know from a third-party lab um you know there was a couple dozen different strains of lactobacillus, you know, stuff that I had you know never even heard of in terms of different strains of lacto. Um, so, you know, just on a practical basis, not knowing truly what to make of that and, and what to, to adjust or not adjust. So therefore it's a much more of a practical approach for us. Um, usually we'll see a little bit of like microbial drift towards uh, acidity um, you know, the bacteria kind of have a way of not totally taking over, but just like being more, more prominent in the, the mix. Um, so typically what we'll do is we'll, um, add some, uh, fresh, uh, yeast 
which is either going to be, you know, more of the, the two pure culture strains that I've mentioned, the, the mm-hmm. French Saison and Belgian Saison, uh, or just a yeast capture experiment that we really uh, liked. Um, you know, just, we, we've just, it's kind of become just part of the fabric of, of our brewery is going out and, and taking uh, samples from what's uh, growing around us. And again, not in a, a kind of a laboratory context, but more just creating like a little two liter yeast starter and, you know, putting plant life and, and flowers and uh, into it and, and seeing what, what develops. And, and usually, usually the results are actually quite passable where there'll be some nice like spice or fruit character uh, in those yeast starters. I mean, sometimes they go totally awry and get thrown out, but, um, but more often than not, we, really randomly come across cultures that, that we create, or I shouldn't say we recreate that we, that we capture that we're in, in, incapable of, of really recreating because we're just selecting randomly from, from nature around the brewery. Um, but yeah, um, I would say every, maybe once to twice a year, we're kind of getting some nice, like fresh um, uh, strains of, uh, of, of yeast into the mix to kind of, keep the bacteria a little bit in, in check. Um, and then, um, you know, not so much directly working to maintain the culture and I'll only mention this briefly cause it's, it's a kind of a big, big topic, but, uh, there's a lot of things we do process wise and recipe wise, such as time, temperature, hopping rates and fermentation vessel to kind of coax the mixed culture in different directions and a lot of times just keep the acidity at bay for relatively long periods of time. Coming up. Uh, you know, one person's off flavor is the, another person's you know, desired flavor. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. HS Sativa, brought to you by BSG Hop Solutions. Meet the latest in the BSG Hop Solutions portfolio, HS Sativa. Strong expressions of stone fruit, floral, and resinous pine flavors and aromas define this blend. 
crafted specifically for use in hazy IPAs and other hop-forward beers. HS Sativa is ideal for aroma, whirlpool, and dry hop additions to hazy and juicy IPAs, or for any other hoppy styles where a combination of citrus, tropical fruit, and pine aromatics are desired. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more, or call 1-800-374-2739. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewer's Calendar. It's that time of year when things slow down for the holidays, but we do have a few events on the horizon. District Western Canada has a webinar on the 2021 barley crop, December 16th. District Georgia has a social gathering at Elsewhere Brewing in Atlanta, January 13th. And the annual District Ontario Technical Conference will be January 26th through the 28th, just outside of Toronto. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets at Surly's Shide Hall, February 24th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, United We Brew. Back to the show. You wrote that you like to brew both pure culture and mixed culture table beer. Describe what you like about the result of each different approach. Yes. um, For pure culture table beer, uh, I like how, um, you know, even as it matures, you're not going to see, uh, assuming the beer is not contaminated, you're not going to see um, much acid development. And for this type of beer, table beer, and this is all personal preference, but I see it as a beer just to drink uh, in fairly large quantities. Like you could drink like two liters of it and still be totally fine to you know go about your your your, your business uh, and, and 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 i mean even i mean I, i'm not making recommendations but a lot of times it'll even be perfect i mean your bac will still be relatively <laughs> relatively low and um so I, I i like that aspect of the um uh the pure culture ones is that it doesn't get like too funky too fast um and then um you know i i, I don't love kind of the uh kind of it depends on your yeast strain, obviously, but I don't love some of the kind of like classic kind of like fruity esters you might get. I, you know, for people who like that in, in, in Saison, you know, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, I personally don't like that as much and therefore like the mixed firm beers better myself because i think you get more of like at least with our mixed culture more of like this kind of um more like peppery 
spicy uh, kind of character that I just think is uh, more in tune with just overall drinkability of the beer. Um, I would say, you know, the, the, the sweet spot is, is a little more narrow in range because that mixed culture is going to take the beer in some, some funky tarts directions over time where, you know, to kind of have the same level of drinkability or sorry, that, that kind of greater level of drinkability I mentioned, you're probably talking about a beer that's going to be consumed, you know, within the first month after bottle conditioning, which, which is still plenty of time, especially for, you know, just a relatively you know small batch of table beer, you know, 15 barrels or so, uh, for, you know, for, for a production brewery. Um, so, um, yeah, I and mean, there, there's going to be pretty substantial. It's obviously one of the biggest variables, uh, really the giant fork in the road when it comes to making a table beer is if you want to do a pure culture or mixed culture. I would say if you're going to do the, um, you know, pure culture, uh, ferment it, obviously warm enough to fully attenuate, but kind of cool enough to suppress some of that, that, that ester formation. Okay. Um, Petit Prince ferments down to zero Play-Doh at 75 and three to four days, yet you wrote that it's never come across as thin. Why do you think that is? So I wish uh, my science would be better to uh, describe this. Um, You know, I remember when I was learning about uh, wild beers, um, I read some of the uh, papers produced by uh, Chad Jacobson at uh, Crooked Stave through his Britannomyces project. And, you know, again, my science is, is, is weak, and it's been a long time since I've read uh, the Britannomyces uh, uh, papers. And uh, what I recall reading, though, is that, um, you know, Britannomyces, and we have plenty of bread in our mixed, uh, mixed culture, uh, will produce uh, compounds, I, I believe. Uh, uh, like glycerides don't 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 i could be off there but that actually provide a fair amount of uh, mouthfeel even in beers that attenuate you know 100 uh finish at zero plato um i can say on a practical level just i will make pure culture beers uh that i i just find like just just lack lack body and mouthfeel and just come off as a little like thin um, in pure culture fermentation, and I've I've never uh, I, I don't like to speak in absolutes, but but literally like never have seen or encountered or tasted a beer that I thought was like too thin uh, and lacking mouthfeel from mixed culture fermentation, um, especially with our our mixed culture that we use at Jester King. Do you pitch cooler than seventy five and let it free rise up or no? No, we, um, we like 75, uh, we, at high Croizen, we, uh, cut glycol and let it, uh, free rise. Um, you know, obviously in the winter time, it won't get too much, uh, uh, warmer than that in the summer though, it'll get up to, you know, maybe like 88, 90 degrees before it, um, you know, kind of reaches its peak, uh, temperature there from fermentation and ambient, uh, just ambient temperature as well. Um, so yeah, we, we like to ferment our mixed culture pretty warm and, um, have never really had any issues with, um, either kind of, uh, uh, harsh, uh, off flavors from fermentation or, you know, too much ester production. This beer gets re-fermented in the bottle or keg. Talk about that process. Yes. So all of our farmhouse sales, including Petit Prince, were very, 
adamant that they be naturally conditioned. Um, you know, when I was coming up as a brewer, like I didn't really even, you know, appreciate the the value of, of you know, bottle conditioning or keg conditioning. You know, I figured, you know, a molecule of CO2 is a molecule of CO2 and whether it comes from refermentation or from, uh, you know, forced carving, doesn't matter. Uh, but then as I got more into, you know, brewing these styles, uh, you know, mixed firm farmhouse beers, uh, I came to see just like how much the beer changes uh, during its time in the, the bottle um, and came to appreciate uh, bottle conditioning time. is just like a key phase of, of fermentation. Um, you know, even with our uh, barrel aged uh, wild ales that spend, you know, maybe 14 months in Oak, I, I still feel like that bottle conditioning phase is just as critical as the time the beer spent in, in Oak slowly uh, maturing. Um, in terms of specifics, um, one thing we see, uh, just on a, just for right off the bat, just like on a practical level is, uh, any diacetyl that maybe is still hanging around gets totally scrubbed out. Uh, if we, you know, give it a good month in the bottle, which is kind of a nice self-correcting mechanism. Like whenever we taste bread, sorry, uh, diacetyl on our sensory panels of the brewery, we're always like, Oh, okay, cool that'll be gone and we've like it's like clockwork it always goes away uh so there's that first and foremost that the kind of self-cleanup uh, mechanism um and just on a side note there's there's uh various off flavors throughout the years that uh that has been our solution to them is just give it more time and in, in the bottle and tends to tends to clean up more often than, than not um but then also um, yeah, I mean, I think just, especially, um, in terms of, uh, like hop, uh, biotransformation and again, you know, I'm a very practical brewer and, and, and don't have, uh, the science uh, handy in my mind to, to support this, but I think the hop character of these beers does transform during bottle conditioning and you get that kind of greater than the sum of its parts type of, of, of character where, um, you know, in terms of more like uh, tropical and uh, citrus driven hops, you see this kind of uh, metamorphosis from like fresh and juicy to kind of like over ripened and a little like a little funky instead of like your kind of, you know, fresh, like, uh, you know, lemon, lime, orange, you kind of get this like, you know, kind of papaya that's just starting to kind of like, uh, just get a little bit, uh, uh, funky, um, you know, in terms of the, uh, you know, kind of more, uh, like noble inspired, uh, or noble, noble esque hops. I think you get this kind of like, uh, cool little change from like just pure, like earth and spice to a little bit of like, uh, like, plum and pear kind of spliced into the equation. And uh, so I think the hop complexity develops during bottle conditioning. You see a little bit of like creeping acidity. I mean, Petit Prince coming out of tank has virtually no perceptible uh, acidity. But at the end of bottle conditioning, you're just starting to get like a little hint of tartness, which I think just dries it out even, even more. And, uh, you know, maybe the early whispers of like a little bit of like funk starting to develop, but still very in the much in the background, you know, that kind of certain like little like rustic character that you like, it's enough to tip you off that this is not a pure culture beer, but then again, not a total just like, you know, Brett bomb, you know, either. Um, so yeah, I, I personally think for, you know, just, uh, you know, let's just call it, you know, like rustic 
table beer, um, bottle conditioning is, and or keg conditioning is, is essential. You're intentionally going after some light struck flavor in this brand. Let's hear about that. Yes. So, um, you know, one of the, as I, I mentioned, Cezanne DuPont being, you know, one of our biggest inspirations. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, years after drinking, uh, years of drinking that beer that I came to appreciate that some of that, that character I really liked uh, was the product of green glass and, and light struck uh, character, which um, I wouldn't describe. A lot of people think green glass, they think, you know, oh, that skunkiness and, and, you know, certainly, you know, beers like you know uh like, like heineken or something might might have kind of created that 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 large uh, impression but i i don't really get like like pure skunk i get a little bit more of like this um i don't know it, it, it's hard to articulate but it just reminds me of like a little bit of like the european tradition and has a little bit of that like slightly like musty kind of almost like cellar basement type of 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 character and, um, that to me is just always really worked in Belgian Saison and farmhouse beers. And, um, I've always liked it. I mean, I think you see similar things in Belgian Lambic where you get a little bit of that, that light struck character, the hops kind of meld or, or, or change a little bit. Um, and it's not quite as like, quite as, as, as like a fresh character. It's a little, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I said, I don't, you know, necessarily use the word skunky, but like the word we always use around here is like Euro skunk, it's a little like light struck Euro skunk character, which, um, which I totally get. Not everyone prefers. And, you know, some of my, uh, closest industry friends making farmhouse ales, uh, totally think that green glass is, is not a good, uh, does not have a good impact on the beer and prefer, uh, you know, amber glass, uh, over it. Um, which I'm not here to argue against. It's, I think, truly uh, one's opinion. Um, but I think that's one of the cool things about, well, beer in general, but especially wild fermentation is that, uh, you know, one person's off flavor is the, another person's, you know, desired flavor. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, you know, just inspired by the Franco-Belgian tradition. And, uh, you know, from what I understand, you know, green glass, uh, came into existence out of necessity uh, in terms of economics and what brewers had access to. Uh, we obviously do it by by choice. We can get all the amber bottles we want, uh, but we yeah think it adds a nice layer to the beer. And uh, you know, Petit Prince naturally being a sub three percent you know mixed firm table beer doesn't have a large commercial audience, and we only make it a couple times a, a year uh, for that that reason. Um, and uh, the, so the kind of committed following of, of Le Petit Prince uh, tend to vocalize that they prefer the, the green glass. All right, cool. Um, you, you already talked about how you like to drink it fresh. What's the shelf life of this beer? And going back to those hard to find bottles of, of real, also talk about how that beer ages, if you can. In other words, I'm wondering if your original muse was aged or fresh. Yes. Um, so um, I think the, the shelf life uh, on Petit Prince is um, almost uh, infinite. And, and what I mean by that is sometimes you'll see, I, I think it's like, you know, you see like the, the bone goose, uh, and it'll say like best before like 2032. 
And I was, you know, chuckle at that, like what a ridiculous yeah. <laughs> on the, the bottle. And, um, but I think that's true with, with petite prints. Like, um, you know, our cellar goes back. We started actually like cellaring beer at the brewery, I think around 2014. And so I've had 2014 petite prints semi recently and it's, um, it's still quite lovely. Um, I mean the, the hop character is massively faded and there's a little bit of oxidation uh, on it, but it's, it's still wonderful to drink. Um, I think, you know, acidity and mixed fermentation just has this wonderful preservative quality where the beer is going to mature uh, oftentimes in, in, in great directions over, over time. Uh, I mean, just a little anecdote from like this past weekend, I was, you know, my, my family and I, we, we did a local move, uh, like almost two years ago. And as you know, as it goes, like two years later, we finally like unpacked like the last box from like our, our, our move. And right. sure enough, I discovered, um, some beer in the box and there were, you know, a couple IPAs, a couple, uh, Pilsners and like three bottles of, uh, farmhouse mixed firm farmhouse beer. And so of course I threw out the, you know, the, 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 the IPA and lager, but I was actually pretty stoked to encounter like this, like two year old box of a farmhouse ale, um, because it's exciting to see like, Oh, what's this going to be like? And how is it transformed? And um, you're, it's not going to just be totally, uh, stale and, and, and just kind of has that like flat kind of vapid, like over the hill character. And, and that's no knock obviously on like IPAs and loggers they're, they're not designed and brewed to be uh, stand up to that much time. But, um, you know, much like, like natural wine, I think, you know, mixed fermentation brewing has the potential to age, uh, beautifully. Cool. Um, you didn't really answer the question about your original muse. Do you think that it, it was, um, do you think that those, those beer, you know, when you first sort of fell in love with this beer style, you know, where you, uh, I, I gotta imagine you were probably not drinking it very fresh, right? Cause you were getting it somewhere in Texas, maybe that that's right. And, um, I recall, um, you know, drinking, you know, uh, Cezanne DuPont and DuPont of real, uh, you know, here in the United States before ever encountering them in, in, in Europe. And, you know, uh, I think 2016 or 17, um, on a trip to Belgium, you know, visited, uh, Brasserie DuPont and drank those beers, uh, fresh in their tap room. And, um, I mean, it, the beer was almost like gone from like a, a, uh, by comparison and granted it wasn't a side by side, but kind of almost from like a muted color to just like full vivid color. I remember it just being such like a, fresher like hoppier beer and i think a lot of times people forget that these these farmhouse ales are hop forward and are fundamentally hoppy beers and you know i kind of see them as like the you know the, the ipa of 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 you know the franco-belgian tradition um so yeah i remember them being much more hop forward and uh uh, also kind of more, uh, yeast expression as well, uh, in kind of like a kind of fruity, uh, estery, spicy sort of, sort of way. Um, where, yeah, I think you are getting a more muted example. And, you know, I, I, uh, have heard, you know, lager producers here in the United States just talk about how, uh, you know, there's just the, 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 the classic German examples, then when they just drink them fresh overseas, like in at the pub in uh, in Germany, it's just such a like just in, intensely more like 
fresh and dynamic experience. And, you know, I'd say the same thing with, uh, with saisons and farmhouse beers. You wrote that this style is simple and easy to brew, yet hard to perfect. What's the most difficult part? I would say the most difficult part is in the fermentation. Um, you know, achieving a balanced beer, and I would say balanced uh, with the scale tipping towards like hoppy and bitter, um, that can be worked out in, I think, just, you know, in a few test batches, really. Um, but nailing the fermentation is certainly the, the trickiest part. Um, you know, obviously the fundamentals of, uh, you know, temperature control, oxygenation rates, pitching rates are going to be key. Um, and then I think just having a mixed culture that's going to, uh, if not be consistent or, or at least like, you know, the, the range of variability is, is within a kind of expected like cone, um, you know, where you're not just getting like radical results from batch to batch, which takes a little bit of, of, of taming to do. Um, you know, it was almost like a year of, of mixed culture experimentation before we felt truly confident to, um, you know, go from experimentation to, you know, full size, you know, 15 to 30 barrel production uh, batches. So, yeah, if you're making the mixed firm version of table beer, just finding a reliable culture. Um, with that said, you could just like, I, you could just, um, pitch some pure cultures, uh, inoculated with some, some funky bugs, either from like a smack pack or bottle dregs and nail it right out of the gate. So um, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's impossible to just to, to hit the first time. That was Jeffrey Stuffings here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to see the entire recipe for Jester King's Le Petit Prince, check the show notes for a direct link to Jeff's article in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.